Hello, everybody. This is Clinical Pearls. I'm joined by my co-host, uh, Tracy White. I'm BJ Hammond Cooley. Hey, Tracy. Hey. So, um, you know, today's uh, episode is on um, dementia. Um, how many uh, different types of dementias do you know? Well, honestly, I know dementia as a an umbrella term that covers things about older people who begin forgetting things and have some cogn- mm-hmm. cognitive deficits. And then, of course, Alzheimer's. Yeah. But that's about the, the, as much detail as I know. You know, I think um, most of our listeners will also fall under that same uh, category of not knowing that there's different types of dementias out there. And the one that we'll be talking about today, uh, unfortunately, affects younger people. Wow. Um, so I hope um, our listeners do get to uh, hear and learn something from today's uh, discussion. And as always, uh, please uh, like, share, leave a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, hopefully you guys do learn something. Frontotemporal dementia, or FTD, is the clinical diagnostic label now preferred to describe patients with a range of progressive dementia syndromes associated with focal atrophy of the frontal and anterior temporal lobes. Epidemiological studies suggest that FTD is the second most common case of young onset dementia after Alzheimer's disease. Today, we welcome Dr. Rita Jablanski. She's a visionary leader and innovator in the field of geriatric nursing. Dr. Jablanski maintains a faculty practice as a nurse practitioner in the UAB Memory Disorders Clinic and has appointments as a scientist in the UAB Alzheimer's Disease Center, UAB Center for Comprehensive Aging, and secondary faculty appointment in the UAB School of Dentistry. Dr. Jablanski blends clinical research with clinical practice, offering persons with dementia and their caregivers the best of both worlds. It's always wonderful to talk to you, Dr. Jablanski. Thank you. you. Please call me Rita. All right. Sure. Much easier. Thank you for joining us. And we changed the name. It's now the Brain Aging and Memory Clinic. Oh, wow. We rebranded, yes. Oh, good to know. That's good to know. Bam. It sounds cool. It does. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Can you just uh, tell us a little bit about your career so far in nursing? And then we'll go ahead uh, about FTD. Yes, I've been involved in the care of people living with dementia since I was a nursing assistant in the mid 80s. So I've been doing this for a while. And actually it was the early 80s. I started out as a nursing assistant and then graduated from my BSN program in 1986. And I have cared for people living with dementia in ERs, ICUs, med surge, in all different modalities. I've been a nurse practitioner in nursing homes, and I have been a nurse practitioner in the Brain Aging and Memory Clinic since 2014. So I'm celebrating my 10-year anniversary in September. Thank you. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about what FTD is but also remind us and our listeners what the frontal lobe does while you're kind sure. of telling us how that works. I'll start with what the frontal lobe and the temporal lobes do. Okay. The frontal lobe is the adult of the brain. That is the part of the brain that makes decisions, exercises judgment, organizes steps of an activity, provides motivation. Also, it includes empathy and the ability to put yourself in other people's shoes. The temporal lobes 
are predominantly involved in speech and language. Mm -hmm. Being able to understand and make speech as well as the ability to read. And the frontal and temporal lobes also have more activities, but those are the predominant ones. When people have shrinkage of the frontal and temporal lobes, that gives rise to several different kinds of frontotemporal dementias. The one we're talking about today is the behavioral variant one, because that is the most difficult to diagnose, and these people tend to be absorbed by the judicial legal system mm -hmm. or be inappropriately convicted of a crime because they lacked the judgment. There's also primary progressive aphasias. There's also something called ALS and FTD. And there are also other types of FTD, supranuclear palsy and cortical basal syndromes. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole spectrum that we could probably do a semester on. Wow. But I won't do that. <laughs> That's our part two. Yeah. And three and four. <laughs> right, right. So you mentioned uh, that it's very, um, it affects the behavior of individuals. Yes. Um, so for people listening out there, uh, is there something that they need to uh, take home in terms of what kind of behaviors are mostly associated with people with FTD? The important thing is that the behaviors have to be very different from normal. So someone who was always, say, lousy with money, just because they hit their mid-50s and they're still having financial problems, that doesn't mean it's FTD. Mm. But someone who was always very conscientious about their budget and who was perhaps frugal and sensible all of a sudden in their mid-50s, they cash in their retirement and buy a Maserati, oh, wow. that would be a red flag. So, and what happens is too many times these deviations in behavior get written off as midlife crisis or the person's just being a jerk. Because the other thing I hear a lot is changes in relationships someone who was always a sensitive, caring spouse, a loving parent, a loving and responsible adult child. Over time and almost insidiously, mm -hmm. they become the opposite of that. They become the disrespectful adult child. They become the apathetic parent. They become the jerk mm -hmm. of a spouse. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes I will have families present in the office and the, the spouse who is not affected by behavioral variant FTD has already started talking to a lawyer about a divorce wow. because their spouse has disengaged or their spouse is on dating sites or is generating relationships that are inappropriate. So those are some of the the, some of the changes that warrant concern. Yeah. So who does this affect and what age range? Because I typically think of dementia and, and the older, older adult. person. Yes. So it kind of it can affect people between the ages of 35 to 70. So this is young. Mm -hmm. so with, the, you and me. Yes, <laughs> with the majority of cases in your 45 to 55 range. Really? 
And again, because the presenting problems are behavioral, Mm -hmm. usually clinicians think of a psychiatric issue or a personality issue. No, it can be a neurocognitive problem. Because if I have someone in the beginning stages of behavioral variant FTD, I can give them a typical memory test and they do fine on the memory test, but they are exhibiting what we call mild behavioral impairment. That's where a lot of clinicians and neurologists miss the boat. Mm -hmm. Whenever we're evaluating someone for some type of frontotemporal dementia, we will use the Montreal Cognitive Assessment Test because of all the cognitive standardized testing, that has the most executive components. Mm -hmm. These individuals benefit from neuropsychological testing, which is about four hours of intensive testing. That can help tease out the pattern. And then there's the magnetic resonance imaging, the MRI, Mm -hmm. which can show us shrinkage in the frontal and temporal parts of the brain. If the MRI is inconclusive, we can also do uh, PET scans, FDG PET scans, in which radioactive glucose is injected and the scans look at the uptake in the brain cells and places where there's cold spots, where there's not a lot of uptake, mm-hmm. if they follow the frontal and uh, the frontal and temporal locations, that helps to move the diagnosis into FTD. Okay. Wow. So what causes FTD? Well, the thought now is perhaps 40% or lower may be familial. And right now the research, uh, there's the all FTD studies and all FTD is being conducted here at UAB. And I believe uh, Eric Roperson is the principal investigator. Mm -hmm. But you can look at specific genetic mutations that may be familial. In around 60% of the cases, we're still not sure. It's pointing to the tau protein, TAU. The tau protein is necessary to build and to repair axons, to repair neurons. But for reasons we don't yet know, certain proteins become mutated, they start to change, and instead of being beneficial, they kill the neurons, and then you get the death of neurons in the frontal and temporal patterns. And all of this is emerging. I mean, every time I turn around, there's something new Mm -hmm. being discovered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So when you mention that it's familial, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's genetic. Is that the case? In, In a percentage of cases, it is genetic. Okay. And there's even and I'm blanking on this, there is a specific mutation that has affected whole families. Oh, wow. In, uh, I think there's a whole group of people in Europe, and there even is a group of people in Alabama that have been involved in um, the all-FTD research. Wow. Okay. So now that we know some of the symptoms to look at, you know, and some of the causes, how is one... um, How can they get treated if this is diagnosed? If it's diagnosed, there really, to date, are no medications that will reverse or slow down 
the neurodegeneration. What we do is offer supportive care. And that's where I come in. In the BAM clinical practice, I'm the expert behaviorist, probably because I've been doing it the longest. And I will work with family caregivers to have realistic expectations and to also tailor their communication as to not elicit rage, because oftentimes people with FTD, because they have impulsive issues, can be really quick to flare up. Mm -hmm. So one of the strategies I use is the okay and. So if someone with FTD keeps asking, well, why can't I drive my car? I drive just fine. There's nothing wrong with me. And you see the patterns, behavior start to escalate, the anger start to escalate. I teach family caregivers to respond okay, as in okay, I hear you, and and then change the topic or go someplace else. In fact, my NIH-funded study for which we are recruiting, we are working with family caregivers of people living with dementia, including FTD, who are not cooperative with care behaviors, mm -hmm. who are not cooperative with brushing their teeth, getting dressed, undressed, et cetera. And we are teaching family caregivers strategies. Yeah. And not just the strategies, but they work one-on-one -on -one with my coach, coaches. We're just hiring number three in January. They work with our coaches and role play so they can tailor the strategies yeah. to make sense for that individual. Yeah, I think... The family caregiver aspect of it is another podcast uh, oh, episode. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah, the the so. family caregivers go through hell. Correct. Because yeah. it's it's affecting people who are younger. Mm. The resources aren't there. Mm -hmm. And if the person living with behavioral variant FTD then exhibits the memory loss and requires some type of institutionalization, you're dealing with a very young, strong, healthy person. And long-term care facilities and assisted livings are not designed for that type of resident. Right. So when this is happening to a person, do they have the insight to recognize, like, I didn't used to act like that, or I didn't, this is a change for me, and have those moments of clarity, or no? A minority may have a moment of clarity. The majority have something called anisognosia, which is a lack of insight. They will tell you everything they're doing is fine. I've had people with behavioral variant FTD who insist they can still work as a physician, as a lawyer. I mean, they can work in fields that involve an extensive amount of judgment and the ability to read the room, the ability to understand people's emotions and to be empathetic. And that's usually a difficult conversation because I'm telling them, you really can't be doing this. And they're telling me, I'm fine. Yeah, I can Because they, they don't feel, angry. yes. And then there's a lot of anger, which the caregiver gets the brunt of. Yeah. So just to circle back on treatment, uh, do you see where behavior uh, modification medications do help in some of these uh, individuals? No, not really. We will we will sometimes use Depakote, valproic acid, Correct. to help with anger and rage. Mm -hmm. The traditional acetylcholinesterase inhibitors don't work because they have plenty of acetylcholine 
at that time. Instead, we'll, we'll bring on a delirium. Using benzodiazepines, bad idea, because these people are already disinhibited. Yeah. So now we're going to make them even more relaxed and disinhibited. Sometimes antidepressants will help if there's a concurrent depression or apathy, but really there's very little in the pharmacological arsenal to address this type of dementia. I can imagine this really is breaking up a lot of families and relationships and very difficult to manage. And often there may be younger children involved. Yeah. So you're dealing with someone at the height of their career who now has to stop working. You have a spouse who needs to work and you may have elementary or even college-aged children in the mix. You may have parents who require care. So it can be a, a substantive nightmare for the family members. I've seen situations where the person living with behavioral variant FTD becomes isolated because the spouse says, I want no parts of your behavior. You're just being a jerk. And they divorce the person. Yeah. And then that individual may try to live with other family members and other family members will not accept the person anymore because of their behaviors. Yeah. I'm not going to deal with you. You need to move out. And I kind of wonder how many people who are homeless, how many people who are in jail mm -hmm. may be experiencing this unfortunate type of dementia. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. How does it how does it put people at risk for run-ins with law enforcement and potentially convictions? Out of all of the dementias, people living with behavioral variant FTD are more likely to interface with the legal justice system. For example, they may do something that they don't think is wrong. They may lack insight. So I may have someone who goes into a gas station to buy something and their credit card isn't working or the person, the, the person behind the counter may say, oh, our machines aren't working. We can only take cash this week. Well, I don't have cash. And instead of problem solving, the person living with FTD becomes very impulsive and just says, well, the heck with you. I'm just walking out with this. Mm. And now that's, that's a robbery. Great. And then you have the clerk calling police. Mm -hmm. And a lot of your gas stations have cameras everywhere. Mm -hmm. So there's the, for, there's the Toyota Camry with this license plate heading on like South Bond Valleydale. And here come the police. And next thing you know, the person becomes, the person's arrested. Mm -hmm. And sometimes these individuals, when law enforcement presents themselves as, hey, you just stole from the gas station, these people can become either even further upset and defiant. Yeah. You can't tell me what to do, and now they're resisting arrest. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you just have one issue pancaked yeah. on top of another. Yeah, that's sad. And if no one knows to even look for this as a medical diagnosis, they're left with law enforcement. Law enforcement. Mm -hmm. um, the city of Hoover has a mental health liaison who I have worked with quite a bit because I do have patients who reside in the Hoover area and who have become acquainted with law enforcement for a variety of reasons. And I had one family member 
in particular say to me, could you please talk to this individual? Because he's a former police officer who went back to school to become um, a therapist. And so he's the mental health liaison. This individual had no idea what FTV was. Mm -hmm. And I called him up with the family caregiver's permission and I gave him a five minute, this is FTV. And he was just blown away. Oh, I bet. Are there any educational programs going on with law enforcement and and other people to get this out? Uh, I am part of crisis intervention training uh, CIT International, not just me, there's several members of the School of Nursing. I, I think we are the faculty presenting this. And we work with the uh, Birmingham chapter of the CIT, and we have been provided, I, I do the neurocognitive mm-hmm. section. And even though this is a national curriculum, and to be honest, it's very vanilla, it, it talks predominantly about Alzheimer's. So as long as I get through all the material, if I want to add more, it's okay. So what I do is I add information about this type of dementia and give it and and educate law enforcement. And we've been educating law enforcement. I think I've done a half a dozen classes since this time last year. And there is a, the national conference is going to be in Indianapolis in August. And I'm looking for the call for presentations because I have a couple of colleagues that we want to put together okay. a presentation about this. Yeah, I think it should be in every educational Correct. program. For I, I agree, because every time I speak with law enforcement mm-hmm. and I talk about this type of dementia, mm-hmm. as soon as my presentation is over, I have oh, there's always at least one police officer or a probate officer or somebody who walks up to me and says, you're not going to believe this, but there's somebody sitting in our jail right now who fits this profile. Okay. Yeah. Probably more than one. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, sorry to just keep going back to the uh, treatment. And, you know, we know that there's medications out there that slow down the progression of um, other types of uh, dementia. Correct. Right? Is there anything in the pipeline uh, similar to... Um, you know, Aricep, Amenda, uh, with regards to FTD? None that I'm aware of. Okay. I think we're still trying to figure out what exact, which of the genetic mutations are contributing to this in order to find some type of treatment. Okay. So what, it, because of that, it, when you get the diagnosis, what happens? I mean, what is expected? What's the life expectancy uh, or the trajectory of that? The trajectory process? is about an average of 10 years. Wow. But often what happens, the people are late getting a diagnosis right. because of all the behaviors. Yeah. They may be misdiagnosed. I've seen people in their 50s receive a diagnosis of schizophrenia, which is erroneous because I'm not going to develop schizophrenia yeah, at age 15, 55. Right. Or they'll say, well, the person's always had it, but they kept it under control. Hmm. If you've ever cared for people with schizophrenia, that's not a thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and, and the likelihood of a misdiagnosis is greater in areas without the expertise we have here sure. in brain aging and memory. Oh, yeah. sure. As a nurse practitioner in brain aging and memory, I think I see more people with FTD in a week than perhaps some neurologists realize they're seeing in months because I don't think people, I think a lot of our neurological experts aren't sensitive to it. They're not catching on. What's the difference between FTD and Alzheimer's? 
Alzheimer's tends to affect older adults with the exception of early onsite Alzheimer's. It is a, well, it's also caused by a accumulation of beta amyloid plaque and tau tangles. And the, the medications like Lakembi, they reduce, they get rid of the beta amyloid plaque. In FTD, you don't have beta amyloid plaque. Okay. So it's a different pathology. Mm-hmm. Clinically, you see people who present with cognitive deficits first, behavioral problems later on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kind of the opposite presentation. Yes. So will people with FTD continue to get worse in their behavior? And in their cognitive abilities. Uh, The best way to describe all the different dementias is like an upside down triangle. So in the beginning, all of your different types of dementia may have hallmark presentations, like Lewy body presents with movement and memory problems. Parkinson's disease dementia is predominantly movement then eventually memory. People with Alzheimer's have their specific clinical profiles. People with FDD have their unique clinical profiles. So in the very, very beginning, you can differentiate between the diseases. As years go by, everybody kind of ends up at the apex of Mm -hmm. the triangle where everyone looks the same. Everyone has problems with cognition, problems, an inability to take care of themselves, and severe memory problems to the point that the autonomic nervous system gets compromised by the pathology and the person dies from the dementia or dies from something else like pneumonia. Right. So where can people go to find more resources or information regarding FTD? Uh, There is a website. It's called theaftd.org, T-H-E-A-F-T-D.org. That is a great website with a lot of resources. For behaviors, I do have my own podcast about dementia, Mm -hmm. and I do address a lot of behaviors. Mm -hmm. What is something that, say I I suspect that a loved one is maybe showing these kinds of behaviors, where can I go? What what would I even do as the first step? Because I'm not going to convince them that they have an issue probably on my own. Right. Where do you even begin? One idea is to say, you know, I think you need to get checked out by our regular doctor to make sure you're not having other illnesses. And and that's where it becomes very unique to that person. So I've helped people who their person with possible FTD had a concern about developing cancer or was concerned because another relative had arthritis. And so what the family member did was they said, hey, I think you need to get a regular physical to make sure that you're okay. You're not getting arthritis or you're not, you know, we need to check for cancer. Right. And what the clinician can do is look at other problems like any problems with the breathing, Mm -hmm. like do they need a CPAP, problems, what we call the reversible causes of Mm -hmm. memory problems. That's a little bit difficult with FTD because they haven't presented with the memory problems first. So they may benefit from a uh, neuropsychological evaluation to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. 
but you you have to you, you can't just get a neuropsychological evaluation. Yeah. You normally have to have a referral from your primary. Mm-hmm. And getting evaluated by a specialist can be challenging because there's such a shortage of neurologists and just because a facility has a memory clinic doesn't mean they have the level of expertise. Any hospital or facility can put a bunch of neurologists together and say, hey, we have a memory clinic. But it doesn't mean they're doing the same. They may not, they may not all be equal. So this person would need an evaluation by neurologists who know what they're doing, who, who take care of people with neurocognitive disorders, such as UAB's Brain Aging and Memory mm-hmm. Clinic. That's amazing. What an amazing group. And right. the work but that's why we have a, yeah. a, a waiting list of close to a year because of the demand. Wow, you're yeah, no, we ha- there's 90,000 people in Alabama with some type of cognitive issue. And that doesn't even bring in the people who may have a behavioral issue that's leading on to FTD. And we only have really, I think we have two, yeah, we have four neurologists and we have six nurse practitioners. And in spite of that, we have a waiting period. We are moving to Callahan Mm -hmm. Hospital in March where we will have an entire floor. So we can hopefully have more clinics because we'll have more space. And we are working at recruiting more neurologists. And at UAB, School of Nursing, we have the post-master certificate in neurology, neurological conditions for older adults. And it starts in the summer with two online courses and then in the fall with two others. So it's a 15-credit post-master certificate. I would highly recommend anyone who's a nurse practitioner in primary care to get that type of training because they will make themselves beneficial in primary care to mm. begin the, diagno- the, the, yeah, the, the diagnosis and management. The majority of cases can easily be diagnosed and managed by a nurse practitioner with these additional skills. The unusual presentations are the ones that should be referred to brain aging and memory. Okay, yeah. wow, yeah. wonderful resource. So I think we're about out of time. Um, I'm not surprised, this was a wonderful conversation yeah. as always. Um, so you've mentioned some resources. We'll be sure to put those in our show notes. Yes. And so that our listeners can click on those links. Um, what is one takeaway that you want everyone to know about, about this topic? What I want is if you have someone in your family or someone in your environment who is struggling with this type of dementia, please be supportive to their caregiver. Too often the caregivers are ostracized mm-hmm. or they're asked to not bring their loved one to church or out in public because of the behaviors. And it's a lot more common than, I wish it were not that common, but what I hear from family caregivers. Oh, and there is a FTD support group that is, I wanna say every other Tuesday in a church in Vestavia, and I can give you the information to put in the show notes. Okay, yeah, that'd be great. I'm sure that will be a wonderful, resource and support for for those people and i love how you always give strategies real life strategies to help with these conditions so always just a pleasure to speak with you and i love all the work that you're doing it's amazing well thank thank you and thank you for the opportunity to be here absolutely we will schedule part two okay um soon okay soon thank you so much well thank you very much and uh we hope our listeners uh 
got to hear something new with regards to FTD and uh, we hope you join us on our next episode. Thank you.